Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Grant and Danny live on this Thursday from Radio Row and D.C. Big game coverage on the fan continuing presented by Solo Stove. Feel the heat of the world's most popular smokeless fire pit, solostove.com. Caller number 10, as we told you, right now at 800-636-1067. You're winning Steve Trevino at MGM National Harbor Tickets. The show is July 12th. We're giving a pair away every day this week, so one more pair can be won tomorrow. Congrats to caller number 10. Theater at MGM National Harbor. Tickets are on sale tomorrow at 10 a.m. For tickets and more event information, go to thefandc.com slash events, courtesy of Live Nation. Former then Washington Redskins had a great blocked kick you'll hear me reference in this conversation to help beat the Dallas Cowboys, one of my favorite games ever in organizational history against the Cowboys. Troy Vincent, now a very high-ranking official in the NFL. He's Roger Goodell's right-hand man. He's in charge of all things officiating, among other things. The executive vice president of football operations found him yesterday. He was kind enough to give me a few minutes, started the conversation, by asking what the future of the kickoff is, because we are seeing fewer returns than ever. Vincent, just last month, said that the play is just a celebratory rep at this point. So what gives, and what are we going to do about the kickoff? Yes, so we've, we've informed the clubs you know, now that most of the hiring and the head coaches are in place. Uh, just, just recently, while I was actually here in, in Vegas, reached out to a couple of special team coaches just to talk about, okay, at the conclusion of this weekend, it's imperative, critical, mission critical, that we come up with options for the kickoff play. Now, we have all special teams to look at. That's punt, punt return, kickoff, kickoff return. But you had a one-year-only proposal with the fair catch. We've seen the data. We know that we can't go back to what we were, where we were a few years back, especially back to the numbers that we saw with head impact in 2019. But I do believe the special team coaches and the head coaches will come up with an alternative that still allows the exciting play, the foot to still be in the game, the, the return game to still be in the game, but we must reduce the concussion rate that we saw of how we got here. We must reduce that concussion rate on that particular play. We don't want it to be a ceremonial play. Yeah, which I thought that was the perfect phrase for it. We just do it. But it's almost never exciting. And that's why we changed the extra point. Yes. We're going to get a drink, right? Yes. So have you guys considered the XFL kickoff at all? So that is one that we, we are monitoring or we have monitored. 
we just recently got the injury data, which was super critical. Okay. Now, we are dealing with a subset of different players. Yeah. Player speed, player size. But there are elements of the XFL kickoff, kickoff return that can apply. There's some things that can apply. You see, there's every, there's always the ball's return. Right. So there are no touchbacks or there's a significant penalty when that occurs. But talking to the special teams coaches and our head coaches, we're now looking at the injury data. And we may be able to tweak a few things to potentially come up with a solution to keep that play in the game. I know you talked midway through the season. There were rumors you guys wanted to get rid of the tush push. You guys said, hey, that's not what we're actually talking about. Where are you at on that play right now? So we'll discuss that. You just did, you saw the play evolve. The push play actually evolved. I think I accounted for maybe a little under under 100 that I personally tagged or we personally tagged at the league office. You saw the play evolve. You saw some pass plays come off of that. You saw the formation. You saw some boots come out of Jet that. Action. So, yeah, you saw... You saw the play evolve, and what we wanted to make sure was let's not punish a team that is successful, i.e. Philadelphia, in doing it. They're very when, efficient When we first it. saw it, I thought it was indefensible because we saw the Eagles doing it. Everyone else does it. Their batting average is Correct. not as high. It's not as high. And we, the competition committee has taken took those factors into play like hey let's wait a minute and when you look at it now again we have to safeguard on what potentially could be the inevitable of someone just not being able to protect themselves so we'll continue to look at those aspects but as we saw the play evolve i feel like the the attitude towards the play kind of changed one other hot button one is the touchback fumble on the goal line do you guys like that as it is right now, or is, are you looking at that play at all? So we will look at it, and then the membership, like the kickoff. How do those things, is that the competition committee, or how does so, that work? So competition committee can make a recommendation, okay. or a club could put a playing rule proposal on the floor. Got still it. need 24 votes. So at the end of the day, whether it's kickoff, whether it's ball through the end zone, whether it's changing up the intentional ground rule policy, all those things need 24 votes from the, from the club. That is something that we will take a look at. It occurred, if I'm not mistaken, it was five times or four times in the regular season this year. And I think it happened once in postseason, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it happened on the Zay, the, the, the Zay, the, the Zay play. So we will look at that. The competition committee will look at that and see if they want to make an adjustment. It doesn't happen very often. Many believe that it's a punitive. It's too punitive of a penalty now. But it will be it will be discussed. That's one of um, one of the few things. The hip drop tackle that has been discussed. We've been studying that. The kickoff kickoff return. How how would you legislate the hip drop? Because I mean, you were a DB. I remember you blocking the kick. One of my favorite plays ever in DC. You're on in DC right now. The end of the uh, Cowboys Redskins game with uh, the big Sean Taylor moment. I mean, some great moments. But the the more ways that it gets hard to to tackle without getting flagged. So we've looked at first injury first. You got 20 times the injury rate, almost 20, 30 times the injury rate on that particular play. We've now studied it enough over the last, the, the, the current past two seasons, where you see the grab, swivel, and as we would say, unload or you drop your, your weight. It is in the family of the force collar tackle. So when you look at that play, the mechanics, this is not to remove the hustle tackle. This is not to remove the tackle from behind. But there are three elements that exist when you see it. 
is to grabbing the swivel and then the unloading on the back part of the leg that is really causing significant injuries. We have enough, we've, we've, we've studied this with our officials, we've studied this with the competition committee. Again, the membership will have to make a decision, but there's enough plays, the injury rate is so significant. And this is, this is part of the adjustment getting the head out. Right. But again, by no measures are we trying to take away the hustle tackle, the tackle from behind. But when you watch it, it has all of the traits of the horse collar tackle. Last one. Penalties this year were up. I think the highest since 18. It's like 7.2 a game, something like that. 6.6 last year. Is is your priority kind of first, fourth, second, third injuries? Or is there anything to like the aesthetics of always let's injuries. throw fewer flags? No, no. You always aim. We want consistency. Okay. So the key is, and we that was the aim. How do you get crew one to crew seventeen to be more consistent, so that you're not getting a different crew every time you show up, or just or someone using game. a different yeah. philosophy? The the, the 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 aim is crew consistency. Now they have to call it what they see, but we're looking for pre-snap fouls, live ball fouls. How do we how do we get to that medium where we get the consistency? Doesn't matter what crew, but it's from crew to crew, week in and week out. Appreciate you. Yeah, no, thank thanks, you. sir. Thank you. Thank you. That's Troy Vincent, who's the executive vice president, football operations, talking about some of the hot button officiating subjects with us here on Grant and Danny. So let's go back through a few of those, Danny. The kickoff. He called it a ceremonial play. Basically said it's yeah. a dead it's a dead snap. And the reason I brought up the extra point, if you remember, it wasn't Vincent. It was Goodell a few years ago. But he talked about moving the extra point back because it was useless. It was unexciting. There was nothing additive about the play. It was just kind of a formality. You either went and got a drink or went to the bathroom. He didn't have to watch it. It was made at a 99% clip. And he said, we don't need to have any plays in our game that are meaningless. Well, isn't that what the kickoff is now almost? Like you just kind of stand at the goal line. You do the thing where you form a T where you put both your arms out at your shoulders. Ball spirals over your head. As you heard me mention, you could even just call a fair catch in the middle of the field this year and get the ball to 25. They either need to get rid of the kickoff altogether and just start a drive without it, which I'm not a proponent of, or re-implement some rules to get some returns because the kickoff is a dead entity. They are so scared. I understand it. You know how we got here. I don't necessarily agree, but I understand they're so concerned with injuries on the kickoff, and I get that, right? The old, you know, three, four-man wedge, and guys running full speed, button heads from that far. It, it is a, an injury-riddled play. That XFL kickoff that you've uh, fallen in love with that looks quirky at first would be kind of a, a you know an eyesore, but initially that would be kind of a way to solve it. But to me, the equalizer of the return, of the every once in a while one pops, is so exciting it's such a huge, profound play. It's, you know, our, our, our very own Brian Mitchell obviously excelled so much at it. But think of it in Super Bowls. I think Jacoby Jones, right? Returning one for the uh, Baltimore Ravens. Those game-changing, every-so-often plays are worth it to me because of the risk. Because it's that one block in the back that they don't see or the one, you know, cutback lane or one guy gets out of his, his track just a little tiny bit. And you can see a crease forming. That's as exciting a play as there is in sports. And it's, it's all but gone. Devin Hester got elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame today, which is really important for two reasons. Number right. one, maybe it opens the door for B. Mitch, who 
before Devin Hester was the greatest return man ever statistically, and Hester broke some of his records, not the yardage record, but some of the touchdown records from his career. Slightly maybe more explosive, whereas B. Mitch was awesome and at that level for longer, kind of the longevity. One, One move and go. Yeah. But the other side of that is, in addition to the Brian Mitchell angle, selfishly here on the fan, raise our colleague and our buddy, there's an entire collection of players whose livelihoods, and I'm overstating it a little bit, are special teams. And that's how you make the roster. If you take kickoffs out of the game altogether, that is a huge portion of the snaps that an entire group of players are going to get. They make the team. They A lot of guys like Will Compton, who we'll have on the show tomorrow here in Washington, he just comes to mind because I, I just saw him walk through. But like, he didn't make the NFL as a linebacker initially. He's running down and covering kicks. And that there are thousands of guys who have that same story in, in college and in the NFL. So I think you just got to find a way as safe as possible mm-hmm. to keep it part of the game. But it is futile and useless right now. How about the tush push? I found his answer interesting. He didn't say it, but it doesn't sound like the tush push is going anywhere. I mean, to read the quote, I wrote it down and mm-hmm. I got it in front of me here. He said more than this, but this was what stood out. Let's not punish a team that is successful in doing it. As we saw the play evolve, I feel like the attitude toward the play kind of changed. In reference to, A, when other teams were running it, they weren't as good as the Eagles. True. And, B, and this is a fact, he's right about this, Early on, it was just line up, tush, push, it's coming. Then line up, tush, push, maybe it's a jet sweep. Maybe uh-huh. it's you, you don't run down, you don't just fall forward, you kind of hesitate and then fall off tackle. We saw passes off of it. Are you any closer to saying you're okay keeping the tush, push now? No, I, I'm as out as I ever was. And I give Philadelphia credit, by the way, for evolving it. Now, sometimes they, you know, it, the announcer during a game when they try to do some, a counter off of it where it looks like it's going to be the tush, push, and they hand it to an up back or somebody's sweeping around and whether it works or doesn't. Etc. My big gripe is that it's not a football play. I know it's happening in a football game. It's a rugby scrum type move, and it boils down to my disdain for being able to push a ball carrier in general. If you want to run a quarterback sneak, run a quarterback sneak. Tom Brady was great at it, for example. Right, waiting a second, finding the uh, the little crease and kind of diving forward with that you know tall body of his. He was great at it. A lot of guys have been good at quarterback sneaks. A lot of guys aren't. It's the idea that you could push a ball carrier forward that I have objected to more than any other part of it. And you could do that everywhere, not just with the tush push. I, I can't stand that part of it. I think that's like the thing that they need to legislate out. They couldn't legislate it, so they just said, screw it, we'll allow it everywhere. So a running back is stood up three, four yards down the field. Every offensive lineman keep hustling, just go start pushing the piles, and you get a first down out of it. Get another five, six, seven, ten yards as if the guy can be kept upright. That's the part that I hate more than anything else, and it's it comes to a head with that tush-push play. So I disagree with that. I understand, though, that they've, they're have they proficient at it, and it's probably not going anywhere. I thought they were going to ban it. I really did early in the season, and I wanted it banned. I've actually come around. Not to say that I enjoy the play, or particularly because it's Philadelphia. It's not fun for me. But I don't think they should ban it because I was wrong. I thought it was impossible to defend. It's not. The Eagles are just amazing at it. Other teams probably are you know, maybe 60, 40, 70, 30, but it's no different than a normal quarterback sneak, I would guess. You know, The Eagles just happened to run it so well, and they were the team doing it. So I kind of just thought, well, this is a stupid play. No one can defend it. you got to get rid of it. The other thing is, as you said, that evolution with the other w- looks 
Uh, I actually am, have completely come around. And not only do I not think they should ban it, but I don't expect them to based on what Troy Vincent, who we just heard from here on Grant and Danny, uh, had to say. The, the other thing he did mention there, though, and this is something that I think is a mistake, he went there. I didn't even ask him about it. He wants to get rid of the hip drop tackle. Now, the hip drop tackle is <clears throat> dirty is the wrong word, Danny, because mm-hmm. I don't think it's like nefarious or malicious most of the time. It's not like before the snap. You know I'm getting the ball, and you go, I hate that guy, Grant. I'm going to go hip drop him uh-huh. and break his leg. But you heard him say it's upwards of the numbers they've got, 20, 30, maybe even close to 40 times injury uh, rate on a tackle, hip drop compared to some of the other ways of getting a guy to the ground. That's brutal. And they're not going to have those numbers in front of them and not do something about it. But I don't know if you heard Jay Gruden say, or I think he tweeted it, but he's talked about it on the air with us Mm -hmm. in the past. He thinks it would ruin football. I'm not that dramatic about it, but there's only so many ways you can legislate out tackling. Yep. Like, what am I supposed to do, man? I can't hit you high. I can't hit you down around the legs. Now I can't wrap you and pull you back toward me. And a lot of times those hip drop tackles, it's a, a corner on a tight end or it's, you know, it's a size You're chasing thing. somebody down and you're, exactly. you're in desperation mode. I, that's so hard for me. I <sighs> hate the idea. Yeah. Now, look, again, it, hip drop tackle, those three words, it's like Tommy John surgery. There's a connotation. Mm-hmm. There's a negativity. It's like a pejorative. I understand that. I'm not saying you should be able to have like a dirty tackle where you land on someone's feet. But this idea that we'll just legislate it out and it'll be easy to do, that's a big area of tackles, man, that you're going to start yeah. worrying about. And it sounds great when you say you got to pull them in, then swivel, then land on them. That all sounds cool until it's a fast game and officials are behind the play and trying to figure out what's what. Yeah, you mean the chiseled world-class athlete trying to get away from me? That guy, I'll, I'll just swivel him around and manipulate him as I see fit? No, I mean, it's... It's desperation mode. I mean, that kind of tackle is what cost us Bo Jackson's career, right? Everybody can remember that. He, he was so strong that he ripped through that kind of a tackle and pulled his own hip out of his socket with his ridiculous leg strength as the guy was holding on to him. So I, I, I know I know it. The, those injuries are there. It can happen. And I hate that this sounds like tough guy Timmy here type stuff. And, you know, I understand the, the, the desire to, to, to keep supporting and showing the incredible athleticism and skill and, and artistry of these guys at, at the highest level and wanted to keep them safe, but you can only legislate so much out of it before it's no longer football. And I know that, like, that's probably the gag-inducing to, to a lot of folks not to hear that because it sounds so tough, guy. I get some of these things. I may not like it when you hit a quarterback normally and it's like, well, he's landed near him, so it's not only a, not a sack, but it's 15 yards of the way. That can kick all the rocks. That sucks. But this is one of those – this is not usually happening – on your normal run play, you know, three and a half yards in a cloud of dust. This is defender desperately trying to stop somebody that's all but by them most of the time when, when I think of that kind of a tackle. I just don't know that you can go, oh, well, I, I, I'm best to let him go. Doesn't feel right to me. I'm with you. He's Danny. I'm Grant. You're listening to The Fan. We're out here in Vegas, Super Bowl 58, Radio Row. A couple things coming up on the show. we got Doug Williams at the uh, end of the hour. Looking forward to catching up with one of the legends when it comes to D.C. Super Bowl lore. That will be fun. Also just saw our buddy Chris Sims uh, in the near vicinity. We'll grab him, sit down, and talk about this quarterback class coming out with uh, Sims of NBC Sports. That should be good this hour on Grant and Danny as well. Uh, Next, though, I want to dive into the staff that 
is being assembled by Dan Quinn. One of the selling points was, hey, if you're not excited, if you're not big on Dan Quinn, don't worry. The coaching staff's going to be awesome. Well, we've got a pretty good idea now of what this coaching staff's going to look like after two more hires today and four of the biggest hires having already been made. How much better do we feel about Quinn? We'll get into that next on GND. G&D, welcome back. You're listening to The Fan. Thank you for making the show part of your day. It is NBA trade deadline day. The Wizards did make one move. They shipped Daniel Gafford out. Get a player back, non-consequential, but here's the whole crux of the deal. They're getting a first-round pick back, and we're not exactly sure yet because the pick is coming back from a club with three first-round selections. But it sounds like it's going to be potentially a late lottery or mid-first-round pick coming back to Washington. Gafford has been playing pretty well. You look at his last three games. Mm -hmm. He was playing at a high level, 11-14 and 14 against the Heat, 15-7 and 7 against the Suns. Just yesterday went 14-13, and 13, 7 of 12 from the floor against the Cavs. He's a good player, man, and he did some nice things for them. You know, on a good contending team, he's got a chance to be posting close to a double-double every night. So I like the move to get him to a place where he can help a team trying to win basketball games. But for the Wizards, they're trying to add picks. And in a deadline where there aren't going to be a lot of picks in the first round moved, they got one of them. They did. And again, it, it, this could be even a late first rounder. It, it's still a little bit muddy as to exactly what it is. The, the, the last thing we heard was that it, it might be the Clippers first rounder, which will convey to Oklahoma City, which will then go to Dallas, who's the ultimate recipient of the trade. But that doesn't matter. A first round pick in exchange for Gafford. And the Wizards also get back for Sean Holmes, who will probably play some minutes for them because he's tall and they don't have any really built any big men other right now than, than Marvin Bagley. But Gafford's a center in a league, a true center in a league where that's kind of dying, but it's still very helpful to have someone that can go 20, 25 minutes a night, run the court, protect the rim, uh, you know, get some blocks, get some rebounds, you know, get some of those putbacks, easy dunks off lobs in the screen game, especially playing with Luka. So it, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. But from the Wizards' perspective, this is what I want. I'm surprised Tyus Jones didn't move, GP. I'm surprised that uh, I was gonna say, there wasn't uh, more flirtation with Kuzma. Yeah, but let's go ahead, get please. into that. I'm disappointed a little bit. Yeah. The Gafford deal came out early in the day, as mm -hmm. it was. I mean, the, the time zone here is weird, so I don't know when it was East time, but it was morning here. And so that broke, and you thought, okay, they're going to be active. I would have thought, though, they have a few other veterans, and you know, maybe that they would have just done more and acquired and recouped more. I just think they're in a bad spot, so it's hard yep. to grade them. They're still basically working their way out of, like, the corner they've been painted in. Yep, to a degree. And and this is also, I will say, not a terribly active kind of over-the-top trade market. It wasn't like a, a feeding frenzy uh, type situation where a bunch of teams were making moves. So maybe, you know, you never know. If, if you, can, you don't just trade someone to trade them, right? You can you still gain something by having someone come off your books at the end of the season, or you could resign somebody. I mean, the, you know, you don't just do it just to say that you did. But I thought there'd be more of a market for, for a Tyus Jones from a contender to have him, you know, some bench point guard help. I mean, how, how, how long was that? The Achilles heel for Washington, where they had a rotating cast behind Bradley Beal. It was every year it was uh, – Bradley Beal, excuse me, John Wall. Every year it was a new guy who was going to give significant minutes in that 15 to 25 a night for a contender. They could never seem to solve that. Tyus Jones would be a great sixth, seventh man on a contending team. Run your offense, not going to turn it over, can knock down a shot or two can beat up on second-unit players. I thought they'd have more buzz for him, and I was wrong. All right, Dan Quinn's staff's coming together, Danny. 
when the news broke that they were hiring Dan Quinn, as unexciting as that was, the immediate argument made by the pro-Quinn group was, hey, if you don't like this, that's fine. He's going to put together a hell of a staff. That's what he does. And he's going to be a guy that grows on you every time you see and hear him talk. And the second one is definitely happening. He's done some interviews in town. He had a 57-minute introductory presser. He is a guy that has the ability, politician style, mm-hmm. not negatively. I don't mean that nefariously. But he's got that, I want to have a beer with that yeah, guy. To connect. Yeah, connect. Straight, right? He's a people person. He's, he's got a high EQ. There's social intelligence there. Like, all of those boxes checked. So he's one in that regard. The other part of it, though, is hiring the staff. And here's where we're at now. Cliff Kingsbury, the offensive coordinator, and Brian Johnson today. I thought that was a massive get for them, who was a coordinator last year, to be a non-OC. So he's going to be either the offensive pass game specialist or probably like a quarterback's coach. Mm -hmm. So you've got a former head coach as an OC and a former OC as a non-coordinating assistant. It's a pretty qualified, thorough offensive staff. Johnson's a young guy whose star has been rising before an ultra-disappointing fall-off year last year. Kingsbury obviously was seen as a super bright ascending star mm-hmm. from a, a play design standpoint. I've got my questions because the numbers have just never been that great. But I think by and large, as a one-two punch to lead the offensive staff, Kingsbury and Johnson's not too bad. Defensively, not going to be as much star power here because Quinn is the bell of the ball. It's his defense. Joe Witt comes over. He's going to call plays. This is actually my favorite hire for mm-hmm. two reasons. First, he's been great. The Cowboys secondary, before that Green Bay, Atlanta secondaries, they have thrived under him. He's gotten tremendous results from DBs. He's a really, really good defensive back secondary coach, which I think is one of the biggest areas where Washington's got to coach better. So I love that. Also, he would have been the coordinator for the Cowboys calling their defense, and they now have to scramble. And there's a chance that Ron Rivera ends up being their D.C., Mm -hmm. which I am hoping for, by the way. But Joe Witt Jr., and we found out today that he hired his – first big assistant on his defensive staff under Quinn in the form of Jason Simmons, who's the pass game coordinator on defense for the Raiders. They were a top 10 scoring defense this year. He's done some really good things over the years with Jair Alexander and Jack Jones, really well-liked guy in his 40s. So we heard Quinn was going to build a staff. So far, he's delivering the goods there. Do you feel any better as the depth chart of coaches gets filled out? Yes. Unequivocally, yes. Um, the, the 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 Brian Johnson one really is is what's got me the most excited. Now, in retrospect, this is going to sound not as complimentary as it should. But the thing I was most excited about when Rivera came initially was you got a guy with head coaching experience that's going to run his defensive room. This isn't a guy that wouldn't get a job anywhere else. This isn't a Greg Minuski, with all due respect, be, being the defensive coordinator for a couple of years, or you know Joe Barry, who's gotten jobs subsequently. But Jack Del Rio was a perfectly middling average okay head coach getting someone that with that kind of experience bumped down to the defensive coordinator role for multiple years there's a pedigree there and again I know his defense underachieved so dramatically this year and he was fired but that was a a, a nice little point of pride I like having something similar in general and on principle somebody that was an OC last year that was ascending a rotten ending where nobody can escape that skunk stink uh, in Philadelphia means he's got to get bumped down a peg that's your game. That's to, to Washington's benefit. I got that's a, a very recent former OC is now your, as you said, probably quarterbacks coach, pass game coordinator, kind of some role there, you know, in between. But certainly a sharp offensive mind in your building. Hell yeah. 
I'm whelmed by the offensive staff, even though I really like Johnson. I was fine with Kingsbury. I'm not, like, overly excited, but I definitely see the upside, and I think that it was a big get for him to get a former head coach. I'm thrilled with the defensive staff that he's starting to put together. Like, I think that's a really sharp, really good group. And it's not surprising, right? I mean, he's going to be more plugged in probably on the defensive side of the ball as a guy whose entire life has been spent on that side of the building. Uh, Offensively for Washington, it's going to come down to Kingsbury and what he can get out of the quarterback. His relationship with the number two overall pick, that's going to be, as I like to say, the whole ball game here. That's everything, man. The whole deal is going to be, whether it's May, Daniels, Williams, doesn't matter, Kingsbury's rapport, number one, and then ability to accentuate and maximize that player. Uh, I see a lot of people with the Brian Johnson hire today pointing to how bad last year went with him calling plays for the Eagles as a ding. They did the same thing with Kingsbury. I didn't get it. They're like, oh, this guy was a terrible head coach. He's not a head coach here. Why? What is that? Why, why do hmm. people, like, if, if you think I stink at hosting on the radio, right, but then I, I get a job where I'm just like, um, only like taping four-minute interviews. I might be able to be better at that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Like four and a half hours is, is more difficult than, than the four-minute thing. So, yes, Cliff Kingsbury did not thrive or succeed as a head coach. I'm sorry about that. He's now a coordinator. Who cares how he did as a head coach? Same thing with Brian Johnson. Oh, he didn't call plays well. He wasn't a great coordinator. Okay, but we've seen him as a play caller, uh, a pre-play caller, I should say, as a quarterback whisperer. Whatever that logic is, it doesn't work for me when people judge you by the job that was bigger and more difficult. So for Brian Johnson specifically, I know that the taste in everyone's mouth in Philadelphia is rotten and really, really bad. Would you be interested in the guy in the guy that coordinated the offense that scored the seven most points in the NFL? Would you be interested in a guy in a lesser role, and by the way, like less responsibility, that scored uh, 34 points, uh, against Washington, 31 against Miami, that that beat uh, Dallas uh, putting up 28, that beat Buffalo scoring 37 points. Like, these highs, these good moments over the last year and a half far outweigh, yes, a, a cataclysmic fall off the cliff. Philadelphia lost a bunch of games because their defense stunk, and they were getting away with it for a while, and then they couldn't get away with it anymore. Hurts wasn't the same. I'm aware of that. And they had some really paltry numbers. It's a couple bad back-to-back games there at the beginning of December. And I know losing to the Giants the way they did, losing to Seattle, losing to Dallas. They looked terrible. I'm not telling you they didn't. The big picture on the whole for Brian Johnson, pretty good offense has happened. <laughs> it was happening there in Philadelphia. You want to excuse it and say it's because of uh, how Hurts was last year as an MVP candidate. A.J. Brown's a superstar. Dallas Goddard's great, one healthy. Go ahead. I'm telling you, this is not some boob that, that wandered around pointing to items that he wanted to get uh, at, at a Costco. This dude knows what the hell he's doing, and he has a lesser role here. We should be doing spin kicks that they got that guy. Yeah, staff still being filled out. I'd still like to see another quality offensive assistant brought in, continue to layer some of the young up-and-coming Some run coaches. game emphasis there, whether it's an O-line type emphasis. Well, they haven't hired the O-line that. coach, yeah. yeah. And that to me, that I'm not just saying that for this particular staff, although I definitely highlight, underline, accentuate it for this group. But I think in general, the O-line coach is the most important non-coordinator. Like you, That's the guy that often is going to be doing a lot of the legwork on marrying some play-action stuff with you, kind of setting a tone for sure. And then specifically here where Kingsbury, it's air raid. It's a lot of passing conceptual stuff that he's going to bring to the table. You'll want someone to kind of strike a healthy balance here. And 
it's not like that's the strength of the personnel that this team has either. So you're going to need someone to get a lot out of not a lot. And the O-line coach hires is the one I'm waiting for to kind of finalize my grade, so to speak, on uh, on this staff by and large. Doug Williams is in the house. Super Bowl 22 MVP and D.C. legend. We'll catch up with him in just a few right here on Grant and Danny on the fan. Big game coverage on 106.7 The Fan is presented by Solo Stove. Feel the heat of the world's most popular smokeless fire pit, solostove.com. Grant and Danny on The Fan. Danny is back in our Half Street studios, unfortunately. So, Danny, you're missing out on a real treat right now because on Radio Row out here at Mandalay Bay, a legend is in our midst, Super Bowl 22 MVP. Now, he's a special advisor right now with the Commanders. But you got to start with the Super Bowl legend oh, yeah. on, on Super Bowl week at Radio Road, Doug Williams. It's great to see you again. It's great to be here. Appreciate that, Grant. Thank you so much. We appreciate you stopping through. I guess let's just start with, I mean, throughout the year, anytime you go into a room in an NFL circle, it means something. It's Doug Williams. But during Super Bowl week, I feel like it means that much more. There's only, it's a small group of quarterbacks that have won this thing, obviously historically significant with you having done it and broken a barrier. What's it like being Doug Williams on Radio Row? You know, you think about the few guys that have won it. You know, uh, we was talking to somebody the other day, and we thought about all the guys that, that got multiple rings. You know, like Brady mm-hmm. put it out the box. He got seven. You got guys that got four. You got guys that got three. You got guys that got two. And, and you look at that, and you realize this is a very, very small club. And you know what? It's a pleasure to be in that club, and you look back, Man, it's not that many people get this opportunity, and, and I was fortunate enough to, to be with the Redskins at that particular time and got that chance to, to, to win the Super Bowl. Doug, when you guys were down in that game, what was the mood like? What was said? Who, who looked at who? who you know, who, who gave the fire-up speech, or, or was it just still business as usual? Well, you know what? I, I didn't see anybody on that sideline getting down. I think what had happened, you know, week before that, two weeks before that, we was in frigid. Uh, Chicago, mm-hmm. and we was down 14 points, if you remember. Mm-hmm. And uh, we came back and won that game. So we was in sunshine at uh, San Diego. And, and we knew from a physical standpoint what we could do. We understood what Denver could do. They was more of a finesse team. And we realized then when we got things to rolling that it was going to be a different ball game. And, and coming back out there that second quarter and, and hitting Ricky Sanders, you know, he got it rolling. And from now on, it was, it was all us physically. You know, we was able to run the ball uh, finesse-wise. We was able to throw the ball. So we kind of ruled the whole day as far as what the game was going to be all about. That game, that's, again, Super Bowl XXII. You're, you're ta- fans my age, I'm 35, 36. I was a baby. I don't have the recollection of it. I've seen the videos. I've watched the full game. Our parents told us all about it. What do you make of this? There's an entire generation now that's kind of chasing that ghost, so to speak, and we've never seen it, and we're, we're looking for it. Yeah, you know what? That's the unfortunate about this whole thing. You know, you you got parents who got kids that hadn't had an opportunity to enjoy what they they was enjoying, you know, and I think that's what we're working towards. I think we just got to get to the point where we can put ourselves in the tournament and then put ourselves in the tournament to stay. And I think now, you know, with the, with the new regime coming in, the ownership, uh, you know, how they look at it because they understood what winning was back in the 80s because they was part of it. 
And I think that's what they want to get back to. And I think we've done the first step of doing that with the coaching staff and with the ownership doing what they're doing. And we want to get the younger generation the same thing that their parents was able to get back in the 80s. Doug Williams with us here on Grant and Danny. Doug, not trying to run anybody under the bus here, but there's a new <laughs> regime in town. What would you tell Dan Quinn and company, hey, this last group here was maybe some mistakes or some pitfalls that you want to avoid to hit the ground running here uh, as you accept this new role? Well, you know, it, a guy like Dan who's been around, you know, you, you can't tell him whatever mistakes that was made or wasn't made is something that he's going to take on his own. You know, like I say, he brought his whole staff in. He brought mm-hmm. his new people in. And I don't think Dan worried about what has transpired before him. It's all about what's in front of him, and I think that's a good way to look at it. Doug, I'm curious. You work with Jason very closely now as one of his advisors. Are you guys seeing traction with the commander's name positively, like a lot of growth, or how do you feel about that? Well, I, I think it's one of those names that you, you find some people who would like it, you find some people who don't. And at the end of the day, I think, you know, I'm going to leave all that up to ownership to decide whether or not we keep ascending with, with, with commanders or if they want something else different, it'll be up to them. But right now we got to go with commanders. What do you make of you, – you've gotten to know those guys probably as well as anybody in the city, certainly, that we've talked to. What do you make of the ownership group so far? You know what I like about them? You know, they come in, they quiet, they do what they got to do. You know, they're not stepping on anybody's toes like this past year. They didn't come in trying to interfere with anything. They let everything work itself out. And when things worked itself out, you know, they made a decision. And and they made a decision. Now, I think now you see more of them. You know, they're, they're working in the organization. And I think that's what we're looking forward to. Doug, what do you think the biggest challenge is? when? Because there's, there's a before and after. Before you own a football team, you've never owned a football team before. Now you do. What's that biggest challenge there to kind of get your feet wet? I know the Harris Group has owned other, other, other sports teams in different sports, but from a pro football perspective, like what do you got to learn day one to be successful? I think, number one, what they did, they, they went out and vetted the best general manager. I think that's where it all starts, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. And, and let that general manager and whoever you work with work towards who's going to be the head coach. I think at the end of the day, that's two of the biggest hires that this organization has hired so far. And this is the one that pretty much going to set the tone for what we want to be. And, and, and I think looking from that standpoint, they feel good about that. Doug Williams with us on Grant and Danny uh, here on The Fan. One thing I'm really excited about is the possibility at number two of drafting a quarterback. We saw in 2012 what taking a quarterback that high can do for the fan base. It was unbelievable. I'm curious for, First, your thoughts just on the difference between the quarterbacks that pan out and don't, just some expertise on that. But then also the, the idea of what that could do for the fan base, just that excitement that we saw 12 years ago, crazy enough to think that it was that long ago with Robert, and just how much that could be a shot in the arm for everybody. Well, well let me say this. You know, when, when, when you talk about quarterbacks that make it, there's an awful lot of quarterbacks that, that was taken in the top. Uh, of the draft that, that did not make it. We, we got to look at that standpoint. You got guys that wasn't taken in, in the top of the draft that did make it. And you look at it from that standpoint, you, it's almost like being in Vegas. It's almost a crapshoot on, on picking the quarterback. Were you watching me last night? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> but, but, but when you look at it with the number two pick, I think, you know, everybody figured that you're going to get a quarterback. And, and that, that, that itself would rise the, the fan base. But the good thing about being number two and being able to pick a quarterback compared to 2012, you didn't have to give up the farm to do it. And that's where we are right now. We're in a position now, no matter whether they make a trade or whatever, I don't know, 
But even if they stay at number two, I mean, you got you got three guys for sure that that going to be in that top five or six pick as a quarterback. So you pick one of those guys, you keep your other picks to build around them. And at the end of the day, it's about building around the quarterback because that's what this league is all about is the quarterback now. So if you at number two, you got number two pick, but you still got uh, a lot of a lot of picks to pick from within the 100 picks in this draft. Doug, this is a real pleasure, real treat to get a chance to catch up with you. Enjoy the Super Bowl, and, and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Thank okay. you. Thanks, Doug Grant. Williams on Grant and Danny. Great to see you again. It's very cool to watch him walk through this room and to see all the people that There's get very buzz, excited yeah. to see Doug Williams on Radio Row now advising Jason Wright and the commanders as they move forward here into 2024. Tony Khan, his father owns the Jaguars. He's one of the real sharp people behind True Media and NFL Analytics. Also, of course, runs AEW Wrestling. Uh, has had just quite a life, quite a career. Uh, I want to talk to him next right here on The Fan. He's Danny. I'm Grant, and you are listening to our continuing coverage of the big game. It is presented by Solo Stove. Feel the heat of the world's most popular smokeless fire pit, solostove.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 